0: Today's guest on the podcast is Brad Cooper. He is part of a two-person team that won the race across America. Now, the race across America is on bicycles. (laughs) So very, very incredible feats of endurance, strength, and mental toughness for sure on the part of Brad and his teammate, Jerry. There's a documentary coming out May 22nd, 2018 called Godspeed that chronicles the journey of Brad and Jerry, and it is fantastic. I got to see it ahead of time and really, really enjoyed it. So hope you enjoyed this episode with Brad Cooper.
1: Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Brad Cooper. Hi, Brad. How are you doing, Meredith? I am great. I am great. Except for the fact that my car broke down yesterday. But other than that, oh, no. <laughs> that is such a pain. Well, you're the
1: swim bike run mom. You don't have to have a car. You, right. you can just bike everywhere, I can, right?
0: I can swim my way to pick up children. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so Brad is on the show because he and his buddy Jerry did this amazing thing called The Race Across America. So first question for you is, was your buddy Jerry your buddy Jerry before this event?
1: <laughs> I thought you were going to ask the other way. I thought you were going to say, is he still your buddy yeah, after doing this? Ask that next. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the way this started is kind of, it's, it's funny to me at least, um, Jerry and I went to the same church, and we knew each other, but only hallway knowing. It, it wasn't like we got together for lunch, we never talked, it just be kind of hey Jerry hi Brad and that was it and one day I get this email from him and he says or actually it was a LinkedIn message and he said hey can you send me your email send me an email you want to get together for lunch and I no joke Meredith I said to my wife I think he's like doing one of these multi level marketing things there's <laughs> there's no context to this lunch. We're right. just like you want to have lunch. Um, I you're guess like, no, you know. No, I so, don't. I don't want yeah.
0: whatever you're selling. <laughs> exactly.
1: So, but but I was like, well, you know, he seems like a nice guy. So you know, let's go ahead and do it. And it turned out to be much worse than a multi-level marketing thing. I'll just tell you that.
0: <laughs> you're thinking I could have just got some shakes. It would have been so exactly.
1: easier. <laughs> exactly.
0: Okay. So what did he say? How did how did this come? So, up?
1: He just said, you know, I've been thinking about doing this for years. Um, He knew I was a triathlete. He thought we'd probably be a good complement to each other. And we uh, talked about it, prayed about it, talked to – I mean, it's a family decision. That's not something you just say, hey, honey, guess what I'm going to do. It's it's very much a conversation at home. And Suzanne and I talked about it a lot and prayed about it a lot. And so – that uh, eventually led to us saying, yeah, it seems like good timing. Our kids were at perfect ages. They're now 23, 21, and 19. So they were 21, 19, 17, and they were all available that summer and wanted to be a part of the crew. And that was like, like the kicker for me of, wow, we could do this thing. Our kids could be part of the support crew. They could see the whole country in one week. Uh, so it, 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 that's how it came together.
0: Okay, so let's back up a little bit and tell everyone what the race across America actually is.
1: Yeah, so it starts in, well, it's made up of four different races. There's a solo, a two-person, a four-person, and an eight-person team option. It starts in Oceanside, California. It finishes in Annapolis, Maryland. It covers a little over 3,000 miles. Every year, the course is slightly different because of construction, obviously, and it's i think 170,000 feet of elevation change throughout the course and you Wait,
0: 170,000? Correct. <laughs> okay. But yeah, you're spending oh that over gosh. 7 days. So, you know. <laughs> wow, though. Oh. Um, yeah, that's a lot.
1: So so we Jerry wanted to do a two-person team, so that was our thing. So the the eight-person teams are incredibly fast at the. They have pros that do that, so they'll finish in three days. They'll be doing twenty minutes. They'll be riding, you know, thirty miles an hour. Uh, the four-person teams uh, are are kind of where the pseudo-normal people go in because you still are, you know, you're riding about a hundred miles a day. Um, the two-person is where the psychosis. Probably kicks in. We're right. doing about... We, we average just over 200 miles a day per person. And then uh, the soloist, I think, must be from a different planet. But we were yeah. part of the two-person team.
0: So would you do it solo? Knowing what you know now?
1: <laughs>
0: Wait, are you going um, to?
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. I, I actually and we may want to talk about this a little bit, cause it might be fun for your listeners. But the question for me that came out of this race was why was my, you know, we talked about mental strength and mental toughness and that kind of thing so much in endurance sport. And during Ram, it, it was so variable. It was, it was really good for this hour and it was really bad. And it, and, and I avoided caffeine for the first six days cause I wanted to save it for my last push. So the, the, the good times, you could not correlate them to, oh, well, you just had some coffee, or, oh, you just did this. It was it was very randomized, and so that brought me back. I actually ended up coming home, reading everything I could on the topic, and now have I'm about a year into a PhD studying mental toughness variability and what causes it and what drives it and what changes it potentially. So for me, I actually came out of it, and that year i was very endurance focused i did ram and then uh, what a couple months later did iron man to try to get a hawaii qualifying time and then two weeks after the iron man did a marathon to try to run a sub three and so that year was all about endurance stuff and then the following year since i had a kona slot you know i spent a lot of time doing triathlon but then a year ago is when i started that phd and i put kind of taken the endurance stuff and said, okay, I can't do everything. I'm running a business. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. So we'll put on the triathlon stuff over here to the side. So no endurance plans at this point. I would like to come back when I'm done with a PhD, which will probably be about three and a half years, and make another run at Kona and see what happens. But no, no intention to go back to Ram um, for a lot of reasons. And, and I wouldn't say I never will. It's just not part of the plan right now.
0: Right. No, I get it. So it took you guys how many
1: days? Just over seven.
0: Just over seven days. So let's do a play-by-play, high-level summary (laughs) of each day. Because when I started watching the documentary, which comes out May 22nd for you guys listening, but I got a little preview, um, (laughs) I thought, you know, so I... A couple um, months ago, I did Marine Corps Marathon as a pusher for um, a kiddo named Logan. And as I started out on the marathon course, I got about a half a mile down the course, and I thought, I have made a very big error (laughs) in deciding to do this. This is going to be very hard. And Uh, I felt like when I watched your day one that you guys were kind of going through that same experience on a much bigger level. Like we have made a grave error <laughs> in judgment <laughs> here. So talk about day one. Cause it was awful.
1: You know, um, day one actually was super fun. Uh, and the reason looking I say it was super back, fun.
0: Looking back. <laughs>
1: it, well at night it was so race across America, there were, I think seven or eight teams in our two person uh, team category, and so you think about the way we're spread out. We would almost never see each other during the race, but on day one, we saw each other. Oh, and right. you, have to have a, you have to have a follow vehicle with these bright lights, and so at night, you could see your competition four miles ahead or two miles behind. And because it was so lit up, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, it was so dark, but the lights on the cars follow vehicles, were so bright with the flashing. That, that first day, and in the film, everything kind of mixes together, so you might be seeing me feeling tortured at the beginning of day two because day two was awful, <laughs> um, but that first day, I just had a ball. We had one snafu where I took a wrong turn, totally my fault. Uh, the, the crew caught me you know, just a mile in, so it didn't hurt us that much, and we can talk about wrong turns later because you saw what disaster that could cause, but, uh, but day one... Was super fun. The nighttime was just awesome, and then and I, I probably burnt a few too many matches that first night because I was just so fired up. My daughter was in the the follow vehicle and uh, passenger side, and you know coming up and going how you doing, how you doing? And I mean that's just so fun as a dad to have your kids yeah. and they're there and they're cheering you on. Like who, how many dads get that opportunity? So right. day one was awesome.
0: Well, and I don't think a lot of people realize that this is a twenty-four hour race. I mean, for eight—you know, almost eight days—you are going around the clock. And so, what a day! Because I feel like you guys altered your planned schedule, right, because of the heat on day one.
1: Yeah, we went through the. I, I think that may have been kind of it all mixes together actually (laughs) you're like it's one Um,
0: giant day for me
1: (laughs) exactly we we did change things up the temperatures and i was talking to jerry yesterday and he'd done some research on it and found that the the heat in the desert that we hit was the highest temperature had been on that day in 20 years and uh clay our crew chief made a, a strategy change pretty early on when it got that hot and said okay we're dropping it instead of doing an hour pull or 40-minute pull, we're dropping to 20 to 30 minutes. And I fought it. I was like, no, 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 we'll be fine. But he was exactly right. I mean, that was so helpful. Because you think in your head, oh, I'll be fine. You know, what's the big deal? You know, what's another 20 degrees? Oh, my word. I mean, it's just, yeah. you, you you think, oh, what's tw- 20 minutes? That's, that's no problem. No, when it's 120 degrees, four minutes is, a, it feels like yeah. you're riding through an oven. I mean, think of opening up your oven when you've got uh, baked potato cooking or something and just putting your face and feeling that time. That's what it feels like riding, not running, not walking, not standing there, but riding when normally the breeze will cool you down. Yeah. It felt like we were in an oven.
0: And so you guys rotated. That's another thing I think that was yes. always my confusion on the two-person team i was like what are you like riding, holding hands or something what is this <laughs> but you're taking turns so constant forward motion with one of you is the goal
1: exactly exactly what we did we did a little different strategy than most teams most teams go short shifts all the way through um my background in in health and wellness i'm very focused on the value of sleep the importance of sleep Especially for athletes, and so I went to Jerry a few months before the race and said, "What would you think about changing up the traditional pattern?" And in, and during the day we'll stick with that 30 minute to 60, 75 minute shifts back and forth. But at night, what if I did two hours? You got some, you know, a little nap, and then you took a long shift, four ish hours. It always shifted slightly, and then while well, I'll sleep, and then you'll get four hour break. While I'll ride for four. And then you'll take two hours on the back end so that I can recover from my four hour. And so that the, the nighttime 12 was a two, four, four, two. The daytime was any, depending on the, the conditions, kind of a 30 to 60 to 75 minute back and forth. But yes, constantly one of us always going forward.
0: And so how did that sleep schedule end up working out? Was that the right call you think?
1: Oh, I think it was huge. Um, yeah. The other teams were, they were making up time on day one. But by the time we got into middle of day two, we were in first place, and we never gave it up.
0: Wow! And then you were competing with one of the four-person teams, right?
1: We did. <laughs> <In your mind. laughs> yeah, we had two four-person teams that uh, were right with us the whole way, and that was my—that's what I was focused on the the last five days. It was where the Germans, where Susie and Susan's team, you know, Julie's team. Uh, it was just a constant. Where are they? Where are they? Let's get them. Let's get them. Let's get them. So that took the place since we didn't technically have any of the teams that we were, um, you know, again, technically racing against in our general vicinity. We focused on these two four person teams and they really drove us. I mean, it was at least for me, it was really a driver the entire time trying to figure out where are they? How close can we catch them? Oh, caught them. Uh Oh, now they're coming. You know, it was it was fun.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's mush together maybe the next couple of days and kind of walk through where you went and, and the experiences you had on maybe day two, three, and four. might be easier since it's kind of hard to keep sure, up. Sure, yeah, since they
1: all mixed together for me anyway. Right. Um, I do remember the beginning of the second day was just awful. Uh, we went to a place called Hope, Arizona. Our team name was Team Enduring Hope, and I remember thinking, oh, my word. This is. We are truly enduring hope. It was awful. It was hot. It was a. It was a head during my four-hour pull. It was a headwind and slightly up uphill all four hours, oh, and I was yeah. just barely moving. I'd, I'd had that great ride the night before when you could see everybody in the darkness, and I think probably went a little too hard and paid for it the next morning and really suffered. So we had that section in there. Uh, the glass elevator uh, was. Gorgeous. That was the end of day one, I think, actually. But you come down and you're just flying around these turns. And it's just they had the drone out and you see this picturesque uh, setting in the film. And um, and then over the next couple of days, we were building to our move through Colorado. And um, and we were kind of excited. I think there's even a scene in the film where I ask uh, one of the one of the crew members, hey, what's the altitude in Denmark? Because that was the team that was originally closest to us because we thought, hey, if they're used to sea level and we hit 12,000 feet going over Wolf Pass, that's where we live. I mean, we don't live at 12,000, but we live at six. Mm-hmm. And so we'll be, we'll be fine. They'll suffer. So we were looking at Wolf Pass not as a, uh-oh. We are looking at it as, hey, we'll be home. We'll be ready to rock and roll. That's home court advantage. That's where we're going to make our move. So we, I think we were both looking forward to Colorado coming, 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 not as a uh oh, oh no, we're going to have to do this huge climb, but more of a we're going home, baby. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> so, we, so we get after it.
0: And what was did the weather shift? I feel like you guys just had the worst weather. Mm-hmm. It was either you had great yeah, weather the last, last like four hours of the whole race.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is very accurate. Yes, we had. You know, you're going to get some rain, and some wind, that kind of stuff. We had the last three days. I don't know that it stopped raining. It was just miserable. And you're already tired. You know, you're sleeping. If you're getting a four-hour break at night, you're sleeping three and a half, which is great compared to a lot of folks. But right. it's still three and a half. And you're so you're tired. You're drained. Your your physical, the physiology piece is kind of done by the end of day. One and a half, and so at that point it's all mental, and yeah, we had rain. We had one night where, and there's a, a cool shot of Jerry going through it. Cool now, not cool at the time. But I mean, it's it's the lightning is just like boom, boom. It, it was it was scary, Meredith. I mean, you
0: yes, the lightning.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, it was. They got some good shots of it, but I remember it was right as we went in, in, into Indiana, the lightning started and. I, you know, it's one of those where you're counting and you're going one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. And I, I had said to myself, you're, you're supposed to get your butt out of there. Uh, you know, if, if you're talking to our kid, if I was talking to my kids, I'd be like, if it's under eight seconds, you get in the car. But for us, I was like, as long as it's over two seconds, we'll just hang in <laughs> two there. We're <laughs> the time. That was like oh. idiotic. I mean, we did a lot of stupid stuff on this ride. And that, that lightning was a it was a scary time. We were very thankful to come out of that and many other situations alive.
0: Well, I remember one part, and I don't know if it was you or Jerry riding, but there was a situation where you were going downhill at like 45 miles an hour and you hit a blind spot because, or you hit a turn and the the van behind you was providing the light or something. And was it you or Jerry? And, and, you were just blind and you couldn't see anything. And it was like, literally, Jesus, take the wheel. I hope we yeah, get through yeah. this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That was a common part of the, the ride because the follow vehicle would stay behind you, but they're in that tough zone of, I mean, think if I'm driving behind you, I can't get so close that if you hit a stone, I'm going to run over you. But mm-hmm. when you're going up and downhill, so going uphill, it's no problem. I'm going to sit 10 yards back. You're not moving that fast. But if you're going... 30, 35, 40 miles an hour down a hill, or even 25. Um, I've got to give you a little distance in case something happens so you can't see. And I, I think that's one of the, the cool life lessons. You mentioned Carrie Underwood's song, Jesus Take the Wheel. I think there's there's a lot of that that I felt, at least, and I think Jerry did too, coming out of the film, of life doesn't give you a six-year warning. It doesn't give you a six-month warning. You kind of get to see what's going on today. You kind of get to see what I'm in now. We, we don't have any assurance of what's. And that was so true in that ride because at night, yeah, you'd have the car behind you. And there were plenty of times that you could see very nicely with their headlights. But there were plenty of times that you got just out of their headlights and you had just your bike lamp in pitched blackness. And you could, if you're riding, let's just say 20 miles an hour, that's only about a half a second warning on anything in the road. There's a lot of faith involved with that.
0: Yeah, for sure. What was the scariest moment for you?
1: Oh, easy for me. Well, okay, so you know about the accident I got in beforehand. That was Right, like scary. six
0: weeks before, right?
1: Yeah, we can talk about that later if you want. In no, the race,
0: ahead. the scariest
1: moment was in Illinois. And if you ask me what the worst roads in the country, Illinois wins the prize. Uh, A <laughs> lot of potholes, at least on the road we were on. No offense to all you Chicagoans, but the road we were on, it was awful. And at one point, going down this hill, and you know, picture a tri-bike. I mean, you know, but you're, for your listeners, picture a tri-bike with the arrow bars. The arrow bars, instead of being out front, when I hit this pothole, they went straight down. And oh, that's right. I remember just like pulling over and just being so thankful and just, oh, Lord, I'm so grateful. That there's no reason why I should not have flipped there because, I mean, you, you don't have a lot of control. in in arrow bars anyway and then all of a sudden they're going straight down oh i just was like oh wow how did you how did
0: you pull over how did you not crash did you just use your massive core strength (laughs) to hold everything together
1: (laughs) no god had to have stepped in there i mean it was just it was one of those moments where you just are i don't know what just happened but i am so grateful right now oh my
0: goodness and so that that was about halfway through right
1: yeah, that was probably about halfway.
0: And so you're thinking, I mean, did that play into your mind? Okay, that just happened. That could happen again. <laughs> How did um, that impact I, your your mental place?
1: Slightly, but as you probably saw in the film, I kind of had this like weird competitive piece, and so <laughs> I think I immediately went back to where are those other teams? You know, so once I recovered and was grateful that I'm okay and you know we've got the, the arrow bars re, reconnected tightly and everything else I think immediately the next thing was where are the Germans where's that other <laughs> four team where, where's the, the um, you know Julie's team Susie's team Susan's team um, and that I think that popped me back of oh, okay we got to get them you know where are they how close are they we can catch them when can we catch them how, how soon that kind of thing so for me that was a nice driver. Uh, everybody's a little different. For me, that worked really well.
0: I noticed that Jerry was not quite as intent on catching the teams as you were. (laughs) (laughs) Is that true?
1: (laughs) He is a much more relaxed... um, he, He brings much more balance. We were frankly the perfect team members because if you had two Brad's or you had two Jerry's, it probably wouldn't have worked very well. But having the the mix, the, the, the combination of the two of us being so different and the, the way that we look at things and, you know, the intense, the more relaxed, you know, that kind of thing. It really worked out nicely. He, he is, anyone who's met Jerry, heard him speak, such a quality man. And uh, I didn't know him going in. We, we, I mean, we, we got to know each other building up to it, but we didn't know each other prior, and we didn't see each other during the race except to say, nice job, bye. You, right. you don't talk you know, because he stops, I start, I stop, he starts. So, um, but no, we're very, very different. It's obvious in the film. I think it made the film more humorous to see that difference, but uh, such a good man.
0: Yeah, it was, it was fun to see the dichotomy between the two of you guys. Um, So what about conflict? I mean, you didn't see each other much, but there was definitely moments of conflict. Um, How did you guys get through that? And I mean, it's, I'm sure it's funny now, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not at the time, but what, how do you handle yeah. conflict in that kind of situation?
1: Well, some of it, the crew just kept my blinders on. So some of it, had I known everything going on all the time, I might've been like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so they were just like, they, they knew, don't tell Brad, just, you know, we'll tell him when the race is over. And go from there. So so part of it was a tribute to to them and how they handled things. And then part of it was just I, I guess perspective. I, I do remember at one moment that you you see part of it in the film, but thankfully it didn't blow up like it could have. Um when we were talking about taking that, you know, maybe we should take an hour or two and just kind of dial back for a little bit and and I think the only thing you see in the film is kind of this, no, we gotta go. You know, whatever, I gotta ride the whole thing, I'll do the whole thing, whatever. Um, I think when that started, we were both in such a bad place. Neither one of us slept for almost 24 hours, It'd been raining. We just come through this four big climbs that we took turns on. It was, it was lightning. Jerry just had a really rough spot where he felt like he kind of lost control, um, in the rain. So that, you know, there's that kind of, like I had come off of that arrow bar issue. He was probably feeling the same way, uh, with what he had just gone through. And I, I, I saw the cameras and that saved me from being a total idiot and probably saying something uh, you know wished I hadn't said for the next 30 years so when I saw the cameras it was like uh, dude chill it's, it's a race you're fine you guys are winning just go with it Right. Um, so you know and I think a lot of it is I just have so much respect for Jerry and who he is that there's conflict but it's, it's almost like When my wife and I I have been married almost 26 years, we have conflict. We've been married 26 years. But there's such a respect. I respect her so much. I love her so much that in the midst of that conflict, you remember what's most important. And I think while Jerry and I clearly don't have that strong of a bond, we had formed a pretty good bond. I do have a lot of respect for the man. And I think that helped put things in perspective when that conflict came up.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I was so impressed with was your pace. Every time there would be a mention of the speed you guys were pulling, I thought, oh my gosh, how are they (laughs) going that fast for this long for that many days? But I mean, you were pulling like 20 miles an hour most of the time. I mean, what was your average pace? I know you know that. You're
1: competitive. (laughs) I actually don't. My GPS, the German, messed up. It would have been really fun data to have. Um, I, I do know... If you want a cheater's answer to that, I do know that when we were going, when I was going through Kansas, I had a nice about a five-hour pull that morning. Uh, we had just passed the German team, so there's a lot of energy. I had in my head, I was thinking of, okay, I'll pretend like this is a Kansas Ironman. Let me see how close to 112 miles I can get in five hours. Oh
0: my goodness!
1: And so. Because we had the arrow wheel on. It was totally flat. We'd just come out of the mountains. I mean, like I said, cheaters answer for you. I was not going that fast this whole race. But during five hours, it was awesome. It was so fun. So I, I don't know. So I mean, well, we probably overall... We, during well, that five hours, yeah. I, I think we realized we'd taken a wrong turn. Different story. Um, I think I was averaging... 24 miles an hour. I think I was on track for a five-hour Ironman.
0: It's amazing. It's so amazing. Um, So how do you train for this?
1: Well, avoid geese would be my first advice for people. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Let's Um, talk about
0: that. That was six weeks before (laughs) you went to Oceanside to start the race. What happened six weeks before?
1: Yeah, so uh, six weeks before I was out at Chatfield Reservoir, which is near where we live, Um, all your Colorado listeners will know they, they run and bike and swim out there. Um, but I'm out and it's, there's a little drizzle and i was supposed to meet three other buddies out there, actually Susan Williams, um, Terry Nugent and Scott Binder and I were supposed to meet out there and and do some time trial work, some 10 mile repeats. And they, they were like, you know what, dude, it's not worth it. It's, it's raining. I'm not going to, I'll, I'll see you next time whatever. So I'm out there by myself. And I was just going to do three by 10 miles. So I did the first one. And I remember as I did the turn, it's an out and back. So I, as I did the turnaround, my back wheel slipped a little bit. And I'm like, dude, this is six weeks before. Don't screw this up. Right. And, and so I was like, okay, I'll be conservative. So I, I, I come back. I rest. I start the second one. I, I go out. I take it easy a little bit coming back. I'm like, okay, that was better. Nice job. No slipping here. And on the third one, I'm about a month and a half in i'm coming down this turn and i i come across and there are a lot of geese at chatfield reservoir i've been there thousand times i've ridden by hundreds of thousands of geese but on this day for some reason and you know the tri bikes are pretty quiet so my guess is the goose didn't even know it was in the area it took off right as i was coming by and next thing i know i'm laying on the ground there's an ambulance there they're picking me up i had to Three broken ribs, broken clavicle. No, four four broken ribs, broken clavicle, concussion, and three fractures to the pelvis. And I I thought it was over. Like I'm
0: like
1: (laughs) seven months of training and now I'm gonna let these guys down. So it was a really rough kind of dark period for about a week as we were meeting with physicians and they were looking at X rays and MRIs and trying to decide and the, the eventual verdict they came up with, um which i'm grateful for and i'm also grateful it worked out was your pelvic fractures are non-displaced so as long as you're willing to do all the rest of your training in your basement on your bike where there's no risk of another fracture another crash then we're going to let you go ahead Um, and by the time you get to the starting line it's six weeks out everything should have pretty much healed by then so that's what we did and That, you know, looking back, super grateful because, first of all, it could have been so much worse. You know, you talk no spinal fracture, the concussion. You hear all these horrible stories about people that suffer with concussions. And I didn't have any of that. So I I came out of that incredibly grateful for, again, the protection in the midst of what could have been so much worse. It sounds bad on paper, but it could have been so much worse. Um, And then just had had to...
0: How did you train through that? I mean, I've broken some ribs and just breathing for two weeks is impossible. And then the clavicle, I mean, did they do surgery to repair it?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yes, they did surgery the next day. Um, I've I got a buddy who's an orthopod and he connected me with the right people. And so they got me right in. And the, the clavicle being supported then spread the – because when the ribs break, they cross over each other. And when you get the clavicle repaired, it pulls everything back out. So there's a little expansion. So that helped the clavicle repair, supported the ribs a little bit. Okay. And I would just, I'd have trouble getting into the position, but then I would just get into arrow and I would just stay there. And I'd just ride for eight, 10, 12 hours at a time and just not move. And because I wasn't on road, I didn't have to worry about sand or bumps. That probably made it easier two compared to what you're talking about because I didn't have the bumpiness. I was sitting on a trainer for 10 hours and I was set in that position. So it was clearly not optimal, but pretty fortunate again.
0: Just incredible. Let's talk about your crew. How many people were with you guys and just, just talk about that because I know you can't do it without them, but it was even cooler that you had your family there.
1: Crew is amazing. I, I, I can say that. I can't even say it right. Um, these folks give up basically 10 days by the time you go out there, get ready the day before, come back, that kind of thing. So they're giving up 10 days of their vacation to be in a, an RV where the air conditioning went out, to stay up all hours of the night, to have riders say, how did you miss that turn? Um, to you know, just do everything, talk about a servant's attitude. these folks, every single one of them, so amazing. Like you said, though, having our kids, the crew, I it, it just lifelong memory. like I, I can't tell you how motivating that was for me to have you know, Ashley involved with this section or Josh pull up beside me for this or Danielle cheer me on. for It's just Meredith. It's just, it's a dad's dream to have something like that where you're all focused on this thing together and, and they're a part of that. It was just awesome.
0: Very cool. So let's talk a little bit about this mental toughness thing that you are now studying in depth. What did you learn about yourself? And then what did you learn about mental toughness during this event?
1: Yeah. the um, We we need
0: another podcast for that. (laughs) (laughs) We might.
1: We might. The, um, what I learned during the race was basically, wow, there's a lot more to it than this. Like we trained so much about physical stuff. We look, you know, we, we dial in our wattage and our heart rates and our, fuel intake and how much you need to hydrate and, and we need this many hours of train. We do all that stuff pretty good. We almost none of us, myself included, even consider mental stuff. You know, it's like, oh yeah, it's important. And we'll say it's important. Like every single person, athlete says, oh yeah, the mental is really important. Well, what do you do? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's, the- and what I saw out there was just this incredible variation of on day, whatever, let's say day four, uh, I'd have a, a period of an hour or two where I just had nothing. Like I didn't even want to ride. I was just barely moving forward. And then all of a sudden, something would happen. There'd be some cue, some trigger, some spark, some catalyst that would kick something in, and I'd have the best hour of the day. Mm-hmm. And again, you can't associate with caffeine. You can't associate with the food it was just there was something between the ears and that's what got me curious so that's where I came back and I'm reading like every book out there and there's really there's not much out there and that's when I started saying you know what I wonder if there's a way to study this at a university level and one thing led to another and ended up connecting with Dr. Martin Jones out at the University of Exeter in the UK and and he kind of took me under his wing and We're about a year into it now. But it is just so fascinating to see how all those things, you know, I've done like, I don't know, a thousand hours of literature review and initial research. And it's just, we are just getting started. And it is fascinating stuff.
0: Do you remember, are there any moments during the race where you can look back and think, okay, this is what I did to shift from this really dark place to get myself out of it? Or do you just really not know how it happened?
1: Yeah, well, so in retrospect, that was part of one of the first studies we did is I I wrote a what's called an autoethnography about the combined Ram Ironman marathon pursuit, and what that variation looked like, and what seemed in retrospect to be that spark. So for example, um, one of the big ones, and I think I may talk about this in the film, is when we took that wrong turn after that great ride in Kansas, and I heard our daughter Danielle, who is one of the most on the ball, driven, motivated people you ever meet in your life, and that's not even a dad's prejudice statement. That's just who she is. I heard her say to somebody else, "I just ruined Daddy's race." Oh, oh my gosh! Like if if that. that motivate you as a dad. Like, there's, I don't think there's anything that can motivate a dad more. So right. I hear that, and I'm trying to say all the right things. Like, oh, honey, it's totally fine. You know, I'm so glad you're out here. This is, it was really neat to have you part of this. We're fine. It's not, we're gonna catch them. Kind of and so what? And she, she wouldn't take that. She's really competitive too. <laughs> and so finally, I was like, okay, fine. We're gonna catch these guys. By the end of the day, and you're not even gonna remember this happened. And so every time during that day that I jumped on the bike, her face was right there and her voice was right there. And I had the best, I I don't know, four hours. It wasn't me just for four hours. It was back and forth with Jerry. But when I got on that bike every time, and that's the fun part in the film where you, you see Brian Davis holding up the signs and being like, you're 14 minutes back. Now you're nine minutes back. You're three minutes. I mean, it was it was probably one of the most fun sections of the whole thing because it was like Tour de France out there and we were getting our countdown and we were catching them and we'd catch them by just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And see, they had gained about 25 miles on us when we took that wrong turn. And so we were just chipping and chipping. And that, that motivation from Danielle, that was it. And so that, that's an example. And we all respond differently. That was a, that was a Brad, that was a, a dad moment. Um, and we all have different ones, but there were things like that that consistently happened. A lot of them were emotionally based, uh, that triggered that. So there's one example.
0: Yeah. So talk about the finish. I remember in the video or in the movie when I think you had 200 miles left and I thought, I bet they've never been so glad to quote, just have 200 miles to (laughs) ride in their entire lives. But what was oh. the what was the last part like? Because I know the clouds parted and you finally got some sunshine after three days of rain, right?
1: We did, we did. Um, so there were a, a couple of there, there's one fun moment in there where we were kind of like we're we're at our end. This is just we're sick of this. You know, so we took a break and and finally it's just like let's just let's just hammer this as much as we can and and see where it goes. And one thing you don't see in the film, but it it was pretty humorous at the time is something happened and I was feeling good again and and I'm riding along and uh, Maggie, uh, Jerry's daughter pulls up next to me and she's like, you're looking good. You know, you're trying to give me some encouragement and stuff. And, and I was trying to do the math in my head. I was like, so, okay, we've got this much further. Uh, If we're going to make it by this time to hit this cutoff what, how many miles per hour do we have to average? And she's like, "Let me get back to you on that." And so, um, what I heard later, I think Jerry told me this or Maggie told me this, is as soon as she rolled up the window, Jerry turned to her and said, "Don't you dare tell him." So, <laughs> so that was a that was kind of a, a fun retrospectively kind of funny moment. So we had that cool section, but then once that energy drained, I think we were just both done. It, it, we were just we were just cooked and so we we had a fun moment um where everybody kind of kicked in and you see it in the the film where the film crew is at the turn and you turn come around this corner and they're go, they're directing you to the left and then you come around another turn because well, by now usually they'd be switching in and out people be resting and taking turns everybody wanted to be a part of that last six seven hours so at this point it's an all hands on deck everybody's on board Um, And so that was fun. But yeah, up until I'd say the last three hours, we knew we were going to win. We knew we were ahead of those four person teams we were trying to catch. So at that point it was just, just get to the finish line. We're so done with this.
0: (laughs) We are done. So the film, it was absolutely entertaining and beautiful and very well done. So talk a little bit about your experience you know, with a film crew there and then also what you thought when you first watched it.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. Martin and Davis did such a great job. They, um, you know, they had five, 600 hours worth of footage that they had to take down into an hour and 52 minutes or whatever it was. So really a true credit to them. Uh, it, like you said, it combines the beauty of the country, with the intense moments of the film, with the differences between the two writers. So they really did a fantastic job. When I first saw it, I think it was kind of surreal because I'm just this regular guy and you're like, see yourself up there and you're thinking, you know, is this going to make any difference? It's fun to see yourself. You're know, like, oh, wow, I'm on a film. But <laughs> the real goal for that is, will it make a difference? Like, will someone walk out of this? And get motivated to go do something in their life that maybe they they kicked around for a while, but they just never pulled the truth. That's my hope. And I think that's Jerry's hope, too, that, that this is a catalyst where people see it. And they don't go do Race Across America. That doesn't matter. But they do sign up with their first 5K. They do make a commitment to stop smoking. They do you know, re-engage in their, their relationship with their wife. Just, whatever it is, that, that their goal, that they see these two regular guys – that just set this crazy goal, had a great team come around them, and then were able to get to the finish line. It's kind of life stuff. It really is. It's really not about cycling.
0: Mm -hmm. I think what was was a big takeaway for me watching the film was what a big difference attitude and just ingratitude makes, but also just always having – a sense of duty and respect to be the best version of yourself i mean you guys both of you are total class acts and if i had been on race across america for eight days i would have surely embarrassed my whole family <laughs> with <laughs> with either my language my attitude or you know because I, I just i think it was really remarkable that during all that 500 hours of filming they, there was just one instance where you guys got a little and you just got snippy with each other. And that was it. I mean, it was <laughs> it was shocking, you know, because there could have been so much dirt on, I think, any other duo. And so I think what is so amazing about the film is to see two very talented and strong individuals really come together and just be such a class act. So kudos to you for that. Really incredible. Really? Well, thank you.
1: That's very nice. Thank you.
0: And so you have done, you have finished over, I guess not over because there's only a set number, but you've done 11 Ironmans. Is that your number? I have. My goodness. I'm just gonna sit there for a minute on that. So you're gonna finish your PhD and then figure out what to do next. But anything else that you're gonna work on in the meantime? I mean, I know you've got fitness in your blood. So it's not like you're not training or working out.
1: Yeah, my my ultimate goal right now, and I I don't know that it's reachable. But I think that's the fun part about goals. and, And maybe this is encouragement to your listeners, too, is who cares if you set a goal you know you're going to reach? So my ultimate goal for the next year is to try to – and I don't know that it's been done before, so that's kind of what makes it even more fun, is to try to be a sub-450 miler and a sub-250 marathoner at the age of 52. So that's one of those stretch goals. I've never run a 450 mile. I ran a 458 last year, so it's kind of close, but not really. Eight seconds is an eternity when you're talking about a mile um and then if i can hit that i won't worry about the marathon unless i can get that 450 first and but if i can then i want to turn around and try to see if i can break 250 at the age of 52 and do both of them in the same 12 month period so so we'll see so yes i've i've still got some stuff it just it doesn't take all the time that triathlon training right. takes uh, the, the phd is about 25 hours a week that i've been devoting plus we run us corporate wellness Plus, we have the Catalyst Coaching Institute. The people who come and get certified as wellness coaches. Plus, I still want to see my kids, even though they're at college and off work. And we still, and I like to get to see them. So a lot of a lot of iron from the fire it would be a time to do an Ironman right now. Right. Uh, but the, the, the short stuff with the running fits nicely. It keeps me fit. It keeps me focused on it. And frankly, it's a great way to apply some of this mental toughness research I'm putting into place with a sample size of one. <laughs>
0: So I have one more question for you. Uh, This podcast Uh is called The Same 24 Hours, and it it came out of the idea that we all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those 24 hours that leads to our greater health, happiness, and success. So what is something that you do, Brad Cooper, on a daily basis that you think makes your life and your 24
1: hours better? Makes it better or makes it more... Um, are, are you looking more for like time management stuff that allows me to well, fit more in well, or I more mean, maybe
0: both like what makes you, maybe what's one thing that makes you you know happier and best version of Brad and maybe something that's that helps with productivity because I know you're in in both realms
1: yeah so on the productivity side I think it's it's the consistency um, you know I I have a lot of Ironman buddies that they're like oh, oh yeah my, my wife gets mad because I'm out riding until two in the afternoon and I'm like Dude, you're an idiot. Why are you riding until 2 in the afternoon? If you'd start at 6 in the morning or 5 in the morning instead of 9, then <laughs> you'd be back by 11 and your family would just be getting out of bed and you'd be, you'd be a dad still. So that would be my time management thing is, is get up early every day. You, you don't need to sleep in on Saturday. You don't need to sleep in on Sunday. You can get a four-hour ride in before church. You know, it, it's there if you take it. Um, so the purposeful piece is big. Um, in terms of what I do on a daily basis, I, I think the biggest thing is just remembering, remembering the purpose, the why. Um, I, I just, I really like my wife. And I, I want to spend time with her every day. And so that means be very diligent during the day get that work done, get it wrapped up so we can have our evenings just to kind of hang out. And we're, we're brand-new empty nesters, so this is a new journey for us. Oh, uh, yeah. But just to have that time together. So I, I think for me it's going into each day, whether it's time with her or time with the kids or, or some activity at church or whatever it might be, it's that purposefulness of am I using my days wisely so that I can – like you said, become the best version of myself Mm because every day I I like that little statement better than yesterday. We use that that a lot with U.S. corporate wellness. The goal is to be a little bit better, not to compete with you, but to be a little bit better than Brad was yesterday. And if I can keep doing that, that's going to be a pretty good life.
0: Absolutely. So Godspeed, the documentary is out May 22nd. Where can everyone find it?
1: Uh, Go to Godspeedcycling.com, and there's a link where they can pull up. It's going to be in between 650 and 700 theaters, so almost any city in the country in the U.S., you'll be able to see it. Um, I might suggest getting tickets early if you're hearing this early enough because some of those are smaller theaters, and you don't want to miss it. So uh, go in there, pop on. You can can see the trailer. There's a little tab for the trailer I think I remember seeing, Mm
0: -hmm. but then there's also
1: a listing of, of all the theaters.
0: Very good. I'll put up the links to everything and we'll get this published so everyone can have plenty of time to get their tickets. So thank you so much, Brad. I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, just good job, you guys, (laughs) for sure.
1: Thanks so much. You you made it easy. Thanks a lot. (laughs)